0: You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Good morning, everybody. So glad to see you guys. You guys sounded good. Man. We got all kinds of stuff happening here today, man. It's unbelievable. You, y'all better stick around because we got some amazing stuff out back. So don't, don't miss that at all. Um, and uh, so, guys, I'm glad you're here. My name is Pastor Brian. I'm a lead pastor here at Crossroads. And uh, I, before I do anything, I just I want to recognize Veterans Day weekend. And in, in the world that we live in, we take for granted so much what our veterans really mean to us except when stuff starts kind of breaking loose like it is right now, right? And, and so what I just want us to, to really remember is those men and those women that, that put themselves in a position so we can have the freedoms that we have. And so if you are a, anybody in the service, would you just stand for a second uh, in the service if you'd represent someone? Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <clears> thank <throat> you. We don't do it enough. We don't do it the right way. But I want to just tell you, thank you. You're amazing. Peter in the booth. I appreciate you up there, too. So um, you guys were on a mission, and you did your mission, and we have a mission here. And that is we exist to lead everyone to discover Jesus and follow him fully. Uh, why that is, is because we want you to have at least one person in your life that you're praying for, you're connecting with, sharing Jesus with, so that they could lead somebody, uh, so they, somebody could discover, they could then be led, and then they could follow as well. So we just, we just love that about our church. We want you to have a one person. And if you're joining us online, yes, thank you for being here. Christina, thanks for being our online chat host. If you need anything throughout the time, she's going to be there with you. But again, thanks for joining us wherever you might be at. Uh, Have have you guys ever felt like short of breath before? You you know what I mean, like, 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 and all the asthmatics in the room are like, yes, like you get it, like you you feel short of breath, and and like it's that feeling when you just can't quite catch your breath or you never can fully exhale. Uh, In medical terms, it's known as like dyspnea. Uh, and I, it, it's actually where, where Disney got its name from because you're short of breath at all the prices at the Disneyland resorts. But no, no, it's like, uh, it's, that's like extreme cases, you know? And I don't, I don't have asthma myself, but I felt this dyspnea before where you're kind of working out really heavy or when I'm chasing a French bulldog down the street when it's running away like we're torturing it or something like that, just like whatever. Uh, but when you finally do catch your breath, maybe it's with an inhaler if you're asthmatic, uh, you, you always have this sense of kind of saying out loud or maybe to yourself, I can finally breathe again, you know. and You, you, can, you can say this like in, in other times also when it's not like a pulmonary emergency, you can say it at different times also. Like, because my guess is that you probably have had experience in other times, maybe once or twice or a hundred times in your life, when there's moments of like a heavy season of ministry or heavy season of life or heavy season of stress or fear or anxiety, whatever it might be, this unsettledness, when all that weight seems to fall off for just a minute even or just for good, you can finally breathe again. I felt that many times in my life when we brought my daughter home from the NICU when she was, when she was finally born and able to come home, when we unpacked our last box after we moved here from, from Chicago, when test results came back negative, and, and so many other times in my life that I can pinpoint moments where I was able to just breathe. But then there's other moments, aren't there? Moments when you're not sure when the next breath is going to come. When, when the boss comes in and says, uh, we're going to have to let you go. Your, your son says he doesn't want to talk to you anymore. When the, uh, when the cancer returns. When she comes in and says, I, I just I want a divorce. See, th- those are moments when you never feel like you can fully breathe. And, and the reason is that because there is, there's so much unknown with that that you don't know when you can let your guard down is what it really is. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of one of those seasons right now. I got, a, I got a bunch of things happening. There's some that are very good, some that are very challenging. Uh, but but they have me kind of holding my breath a little bit, like huh, right. I'm not I'm not sure when the next point where I'm going to exhale completely are, and and those days are hard sometimes. But but I can tell you that that the moment when that moment does come, when I when all that kind of drips away and all the answers come and whatever it is, I'm going to be happy to say, whew, I could I could breathe again. And you would think, right, you would think that a pastor would do better at that than than that, right? I should be the one that's not, you know, waking up in the middle of the night or biting my fingernails off or worrying all the time. But I got some short fingernails. Let me say it right now, okay? I've been, there's some stuff. Um, but, But I have to say that I wish I could say that even as Christians we were greater at this. But I'm afraid that we might be the worst at this. Because I think oftentimes we, we have more worry in our life than other people for some reason. And then to make it worse, we look around at the world and there is no shortage of people being able to shrug things off moving on to the next thing, right? YOLO is a big deal, right? Our world's very interested. You only live once, so why should I hold on to things too tightly? And although we as Christians, we we know that without God, uh, we're headed down a very destructive path into further hopelessness. It still doesn't mean that we know how to breathe that well. We hold on to our stuff really tightly, even though we know like what first Peter would tell us. And Peter would say, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And, and, we, and what we do is we, we, we do this hyper-spiritualized self-righteousness that, that feels that we should be able to tough our way through it or white-knuckle our way through life. Yet time and time again, we find ourselves like holding our breath and, and, and then we pass out out of exhaustion because we were never meant to live that way. However, it's amazing when we, as Christians, do finally exhale, when we fully trust God, when we finally... Let God do what God does, and, and, and we get to see Him move. Because when we see Him move, crazy things happen, you guys. Crazy things happen. And, and we come to a very important part in the story of Esther today. And, and you're gonna find that we'll, we'll be in Esther chapter eight. So if you have your Bibles or your Crossroads Grace apps, open to Esther chapter eight. And I love for you, Christina, go ahead and put that in there for us right now Esther chapter eight. But as you do that, I think it's important that we're all on the same page to kind of know what's what's happening a little bit. And you should know that as an entire church, kids, students, young adults, adults, anybody in between, we've been walking through the book of Esther over the past few weeks together. It's a book that was written back in the 4th century B.C. It's one of the most important books to the Jews even to this day. And as you're going to see in a few minutes, it's a book that is wildly timely as you see the obvious connection to what's happening around our world even right now. Esther is the story of how a young girl, whose name is Esther, uh, she, that she was plucked out of her home as a Jew to become the next queen of Persia after the first queen, whose name is Queen Vashti, was banished and out of the entire kingdom. And so, so Esther came to the throne after winning the equivalent of like a, a, a extended beauty pageant. But this was more than a reality TV show, more than a publicity stunt. This was actually part of God's greater plan in this moment. Because it turns out that a short while after Esther becomes queen, all the Jews in the, in the nation of Persia, their lives were threatened by a man by the name of Haman. He was an evil man. He was given great power by the king. And he became furious that not everybody in the kingdom responded to him or gave him the proper recognition as a new power that he had. Most specifically was a man by the name of Mordecai, who was a Jew in the city, who was a relative of Esther's, but all of that was unbeknownst to the king or Haman, that, that they were elated or that they were Jews. So, so Mordecai, he refused to bow down to, to Haman, which caused Haman to be enraged. He convinces the king to pass this edict that would annihilate all of the Jews in all of Persia uh, in, in a single day. He even, Haman even built this special pole six stories high that he was going to impale Mordecai on, just to prove a point. But before any of this could transpire Mordecai convinced Esther to bravely approach the king for her people regardless of what it would ha- what would happen to her life and the queen stepped into this moment knowing that God had called her to such a time as this and if she perishes she perishes and through a crazy turn of events Esther begs the king for her life and for the life of her people calling out Haman as this evil evil man And the scheme that he had planned. And the king was furious that someone would actually threaten the life of his queen. And so what he does is he commands that Haman be impaled on the very pole that was supposed to be used for Mordecai. And there he hung last week on the pole. And that's where we left. Which now brings us to today. And in Esther chapter 8 you would expect that all of Esther and all of the Jews, they'd be celebrating, you know, the wicked witch Haman is dead, right? Let's get the party poppers out, crank up the grill, let's do the thing, we're gonna celebrate. And as you look in Esther 8 chapter, 8, chapter one, it starts that way, it says, the same day King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her, the king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. So, so here, here's the crazy part: the king gives all of Haman's wealth, all of his land, all of his possessions to Esther. Okay, it was like, and all that makes sense, doesn't okay? It, it, it was kind of keeping with the ancient tradition of, of during the time that if you were, you know, if you if you if, if you died, somebody else got your stuff. But in this case, I think it was kind of like the king saying to the queen, hey, uh, super sorry, almost got you murdered, like really sorry. Right. And men, don't we get this? This was the royal equivalent of us buying flowers or buying that spa day, cleaning the house, even the toilets, you know, when you screw up really bad. It was a much higher level of, it's my bad, my bad, my bad, right? That's what the king was basically doing. But, but even the next part that we read aligns with what we believe. Because after finding out the connection between Esther and Mordecai, that they're related and, and everything, the king then presents Mordecai with his signet ring. And that was actually on, used to be on the, the hand of Haman, but he don't need it anymore. So they took it off of his finger. And now they gave it to Mordecai, promoting him to a very high place, right? When, Morde- when, when, Haman, when Haman got the ring, it was, it was because he was given this position. But now he doesn't need it anymore, And so this jewelry being handed down is not like a family thing. He was passing down power. He was passing down power. So Mordecai would now take over the position held by Haman and now... Mordecai is prime minister of all of Persia. And then on top of that, Esther made Mordecai the head of Haman's estate that she just inherited. This is really powerful because, on a more global level, the Jews were now in a position of magnificent influence and power in the nation. They had a Jewish queen, and now they had a Jewish prime minister. And after all Mordecai had gone through, he's now healthy and wealthy, powerful beyond his wildest dreams. It's as if what David would say in Psalm 37 is actually coming to fruition. In Psalm 37 it says, Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, I, I, he could not be found. So all of this makes perfect sense. Everything's tracking. They could finally breathe again, right? Well, just, just keep reading. Look, look at what happens next in the next verse, verse 3. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamthada, the Agiite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Now, this might seem a little off to you. I mean, if you really kind of like dig into it a little bit. Because on paper, guys, like on paper, she had everything she needed. She had wealth. She had power. She had prestige. She had safety. She had land. She had status. Esther and Mordecai were set for life. But yet, for some reason, Esther was not satisfied. Now, now why? Why would she not be satisfied? Right, because here's, here's the reason. The reason was that this was not why God called her for such a time as this. She didn't risk her life for riches. She didn't pray for prestige. She didn't ask God for gold. She was called for such a time as this to save her people, to use her position to stand between her people and death and to plead for their lives. So royal robes or crowns or estates or new titles had not changed the fact that 15 million men, women, and children were going to be annihilated in nine months or so. Because the king's edict hadn't been, it was still in effect. It hadn't been changed. So so knowing the job was not done, so Esther now, she, she steps forward even more bold before. She pushes her luck to ask the king for more to ask him to finish what she had originally asked for. And that was to save the Jews, to save her family. That was her mission. God had called her to that moment. But can I just take just a few minutes and circle back to us as Christians for just just a second and, and ask us something. And here's the question. Do we remember the mission that God has for us? Do we remember, I I, I mean it, do we remember the true mission God has called you and me to be a part of as Christians or have we become distracted by the comfort of simply being a Christian that sees coming to church every now and again, praying before a meal maybe, maybe not swearing around your mom, putting a fiver in the offering as it goes by here or there, that we see all of that as God being okay with that even though all that his son did for us? Where did we lose sight of the mission that Jesus has called us as believers to fulfill as we follow him? To to use Pastor Kyle Eidelman's famous lines, he says, we have somehow become fans of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. Because here is the unvarnished reality of being a Christian, we are called to be followers, not fans. We were not called to be on the sidelines, cheering Jesus on as our homeboy, but to follow him fully in our lives to the mission that he has called us to. And that comes down to understanding something in a deep, deep way. And it means that we have to know this in a deep, deep way, that, listen, without Jesus... We are in deep trouble because each and every one of us is a sinner and that sin has separated us from God. And God says that any amount of sin that is in our life deserves not a slap on the wrist, but death. Which is because God is holy, he's perfect, and only things that are holy and perfect can be in his presence. So when we sin, we bring unholiness into our lives that then separates us from a holy God. That's what happens. And when this one life that we live is over and when we die, we will face judgment for this one life. And if we stand before God with any sin, he will remove us from his presence because the holy and the unholy cannot occupy the same space. Because once unholiness touches the holy, the holy is no longer holy anymore. Which means that without sin in our life being accounted for, somehow we will be destined to be apart from God for all eternity Because our sin makes us unholy. And even one sin in our life separates us from him. But God did not leave us to figure out this whole sin problem on on our own. In fact, there is nothing that we can do to figure out the sin problem on our own. We can't clean ourselves. We can't make ourselves anymore, right? So God did the unthinkable. Instead of turning away from this sinful creation that he had that was a lost cause instead of doing that he came to us he sent his one and only son Jesus Christ to come back for us in the famous John three sixteen, 16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that means that Jesus came on a rescue mission for you and for me and he did so in a very specific way Paul would tell us in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus sinned. It said that he had no sin, but instead he took on our sin by being crucified on the cross. He was innocent, but yet he was murdered and died for us. And it was the only way for us to be made right with God again. By Jesus dying on the cross, he took on all of our sin and he died the death that we were supposed to die because of our sin. And he did that not out of pride or arrogance or look how cool I am, but he did it out of love for you and for me. It's exactly what Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter two. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's saying that it's only through Jesus that we are made holy again. It is only through Jesus that we can be made right and whole again. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. Only Jesus. But here's the crazy part of this whole thing. It's free to anyone. It's the most inclusive religion in the entire world. Anybody can receive this. And Paul says exactly that in Romans chapter 10. In Romans he says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We believe by claiming Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are saved. We can avoid an eternity apart from God simply by dying to ourselves in our sin and receiving the forgiveness that grace offers us in Jesus. And again, it is free. So he, he say again, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So more than anything in this world, God wants us to receive the free gift of grace that he gives us through Jesus Christ. But the last part of what Paul just said here is really, really important. Because he said that we were created to do good works. And yes, that includes your job and your home and your friends and your marriage and your relationship. Yes, all of those things. But he also created us to do something else. And that's after we become followers of him, we're given a mission. And it, it was given to us directly from Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, we read about it very clearly. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, me, given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He would say something similar in Acts chapter one, verse eight, where he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So our mission is to tell people about Jesus, to tell a lost world that is dying from their sin, to follow him and not just be a fan. That his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, it's for them too. And if you're here today and you've never heard that or never accepted that before, it's for you. In fact, I want to give you that opportunity to receive that grace today. And at the end of the service, you're going to have a chance not only to receive Jesus, but you get to be baptized right after that. And if you've never been baptized today, I would love for you to make that decision today to publicly declare your faith in Jesus. In fact, I would just say this right now, that if you feel like you need to make a decision for Jesus and you want to be baptized, you can be ahead of the line and ahead of the game. You just go to the back of the room while I'm preaching. You're not going to bother me at all. There's going to be people outside that have got yellow shirts on they'd love to talk with you more but I want you to nail this down I want you to nail it down today but I have to tell you that as Christians our mission is to tell people about Jesus and it's not so much about how much how how much you you give to the church or how many Bible verses you know or how many times you even go to the church those are great things good things you should and, and following God fully with your life those are important things But it doesn't help us, those aren't as a, we can't take those and then not do the mission. Okay, we have to be, we have to complete the mission. Which is why when Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, it's very haunting but also very challenging. He would say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I believe a main part of what Jesus is saying here is that we, when we are done with this life, we are going to be asked about the mission. He is going to ask us if we were a disciple, a follower of his first, but then he's going to ask, did you make any more disciples, any other followers? So I would just say this. If you are not a follower of Jesus, lock it down today. I want you to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you've never gotten baptized, I want you to do that today. But if you are a follower then we need, to take a, we need to take a page from Esther and make sure that we are completing the mission that God has called us to do. We need to be sharing who Jesus is with our ones in the world, with the world in general. That, because that is our mission, to share Jesus with the world. And so Esther, she steps forward, she remembers her mission, and she asks the king to call off the genocide of the Jews. And, and the king responds, look at what he says in verse 7. Verse 7, it says, And King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew. Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given this estate to Esther... ...and they have impaled them on the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews... ...as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring... ...for no document written in the king's name and sealed with this ring can be revoked. So the king agrees to Esther's request... And who does he commission to write this document? None other than Mordecai. Look at verse 9. At once, the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the languages of each people, and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring and sent them mount by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. So Mordecai wrote out this new decree to these 127 provinces all throughout the kingdom of Xerxes. And since it was a vast land and there was less than nine months to get the word out before this annihilation happened, there was no social media at this time, so they had to do it differently, the king allowed them to use the very fast horses that he had been bred. So they let him go. But the decree that was written was not what you might expect it to be. Because here's what you need to know. The king could not rescind the first edict that he made. My wife and I were talking about this earlier this week. Like, why didn't he just, like, say, my bad, right? no. Because he was not legally allowed to do it, to be able to take that first decree back. Because the king's word was final, and it could not be revoked. And if he even tried to do that, it would completely wipe out his entire authority. Which means that the king could only do something else. He created a new decree that now favored and empowered the Jews. And as I read this in a second, here's where you're going to see the unbelievable timing of the series based on what is happening in our world right now. Look at these next verses that I'm about to read. It says this, it said, The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. The Jews were given permission to defend themselves against the enemy that attacked them and hated them. They were giving warning to prepare a defense for their families that were going to be slaughtered. And so as we see the events that transpired on October 7th to the Jews in Israel, we can now see how this text from the 4th century B.C. all of a sudden comes alive yet again. And, and the brutality of war and terrorism has yet again poked its ugly head out of the sand and into our living rooms. And we mourn the loss of all innocent life And as we stumble around in the fog of war yet again. And yet even in the midst of that, we must trust that God is working and God is timing just as it was in the time of Esther. He's moving in ways that we just can't see. And so we simply trust him, even when it is hard to do and not knowing what to say or how to act. We just trust. The Jews were given permission to defend themselves from the Persian terrorists that wished to annihilate them. Just as those in Israel have the right to defend themselves against a modern terrorist that threatens to threaten them. And so this new edict was sent out, and it encouraged the Jews, that knowing that Mordecai and Esther, they're on their side, they're fighting for them. This edict was sent with royal authority, with royal weight. It had the signet ring on it. The the Jews were overjoyed, but honestly, they still couldn't fully breathe. They still had eight months of waiting and wondering, what's going to happen when this day actually takes place? But eight to nine months later, the Jews, they were fully prepared to defend themselves. We look in, if you jump over to chapter nine, it says on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nations, nationalities were afraid of them. The Jews defended themselves. They came out victorious. And without question, there was a terrible price that was paid. Verse 16, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces were also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of them but did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now, as you read this and you hear about this, mag- this huge number of 75,000, I think there's a few things to keep in mind. The first thing is the original edict that the king had given out The first one, it appeared that the Jews couldn't even defend themselves against it. But the second one that Mordecai sent out just allowed them to at least do that. The second one, though, is the second thing is that the Jews were only allowed to defend themselves against those that attacked them first. So the fact that 75,000 people were murdered showed that that's how many of them wanted to actually kill innocent Jewish people in that moment. There was a threat that was real. And the third thing to consider is that, they did not, is that if they did not defend themselves, 15 million Jews would be dead compared to 75,000. And if you keep in mind, there's about 100 million Persians at the time. And the last thing, it says that the Jews were never even touched the plunder of those that they killed, even though they had the right to do it, which proves that this was strictly about self-defense. This was not about power. It was not about profit. If it were, many, many more would have died. But finally, this is an agreement that goes back to what it says in what what, what God told Isaac. And in Genesis chapter 27, it says, May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. God's people were kept from harm, and he protected them from a terrible, terrible genocide. But as we reflect on this, I think it's important to notice a couple of very important words that, that we'll read in this final passage today in verse 18. It says, the Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th day they rested and made a day of feasting and joy. It said that the Joys felt rest. They felt joy. You know what those words were meant to the Jews, what that meant to them? It meant that they could finally breathe. They could exhale because the danger was finally gone. God had made a way and they could breathe again. they had survived the dark night and they had come out victorious against their enemies as God's hand guided them to safety. That's what happened to them. And and, and I will say this, that each and every one of us is going to find ourselves in a state of shortness of breath, not just physically, but spiritually in our life. And, and we may not want to call it that. We might try to explain it away as, you know, just a tough season or something I've got to get through. But, but deep down, we know that we have spiritual dyspnea. And it comes to all of us. We all have these moments when we wonder, how are things going to play out? What's going to happen? But what we will find to be true is that nothing that we can do will ever allow us to have that deep sigh of relief that we're looking for. It's because we we only find that when we give everything over to God and trust that he's got it. And when we do that, what we do is we find the same thing the Jews found, that we find relief, we find rest, we find joy. Because those are the byproducts of simply letting God have all of our stuff that we're carrying, and instead we just give it to him. And it's exactly when we can finally breathe. So I just want to do something right now with us. And um, if you've ever used your, your smartwatch, if you have one of those or an app on your phone, you know that occasionally it'll tell you to breathe um, and it's super annoying. It's like, I'm breathing, but you haven't. Re- but, but if you've ever play, like, touched that button, it actually takes you through a, a, like a minute breathing process. And I'll be darned if it isn't just amazing when you're done. You feel so much better. So I want to use that, not in like a weird way today, but I want to use it in a very prayerful way. So we're going to put a prompt on the screen here in just a second. It's simply going to encourage you to inhale and exhale. And it's a way to calm down, yes, but it's also a way for us to simply pray. And with every inhale, we take all the stuff that we're just taking in our life that's just holding us back, and when we exhale, we just are releasing it to God. We're just praying it over to Him to symbolically and literally give all that stuff that we're carrying away. So we could just simply breathe. So I want you to do that. I want you to think about that. Whatever it is that you're holding in, I want you to be able to let that go. And then we're just going to worship through it for a moment. And then we'll finish the rest of this time. So in a second, you're going to see this come up. You're just going to simply follow the prompts with me. You can close your eyes. The music will change as it goes. Let's inhale. Let's exhale. Let's give whatever we have to God right now. Day. desperate for you. So as you think about your life and what you need to exhale might, might this week you just consider a few things first you're going to get your prayer card as you leave here today it's just to carry each other's burdens in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ what better way to exhale than have somebody around you do the very same thing with you but I want you to think about where, where can you exhale you need to exhale in your life right now and what is God asking you to exhale so you can breathe again? And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to get baptized today. I'm going to invite you to accept Jesus today. And we've got the tubs ready to go. I'm going to go get changed. I'm going to have, right. But, and we got everything ready for you. Shorts, shirts, everything. Don't think of that we didn't think of it because we did So I want you to go to the back at any point. I want you to see the people in the yellow shirts. They're going to take good care of you. I want you to get baptized. Why? Because when baptism, it's a symbol of us saying, God, I want you to have everything. And so as we go under the water, we hold our breath and we're just saying, God, this is everything I got. And when we come out, we exhale and the Holy Spirit fills us and the water falls over us and we are brand new. And it is our chance to breathe. And so we're going to celebrate baptisms today. And I want you to experience that too any point I want you to go to the back they're going to pray for you connect with you and get baptized today don't leave here with your with holding your breath leave here exhaling it all to Jesus today is the day heavenly father lord god I pray right now that if there's anybody here that does not know he's lord and savior that they would simply cry out to you and say Jesus I want you as my savior I have been holding my breath my whole life and I'm trying to do it on my own. I'm exhausted. I'm ready to pass out. And I don't want to do that for all eternity. I want you, Jesus, to be in my life. So, Father, I claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin. I repent of my past. I embrace my future in you, Jesus. Father, would you make that happen now? Because you say that those that call on your name, Jesus, the old is gone, the new is come, and they can finally breathe for all eternity. Father, make that our mission to then tell others about you. Move in this place, Jesus. It's all for you. We love you and thank you, in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.